Welcome to the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast, a general practice podcast brought to you by Menlo Park Recruitment. Illuminating Primary Care is here to quiz primary care leaders to offer professional knowledge, experience and insight on the biggest topics in general practice. It's the podcast to listen to if you work in primary care. Welcome to the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast. Hello and welcome to Illuminating Primary Care. My name's Kirsty and I'm your host today. Uh, I'm joined by Dr. Ricardo de Cuffer, uh, the co-founder and the chief medical officer for the private healthcare provider, Time. Rick has approaching 15 years experience as a GP and began his career with the NHS in secondary care, practicing ENT and surgical disciplines. Uh, and Rick co-founded Time in 2016 under its previous name, Your Doctor Group. And aside from having a love of Italian cars, Rick has a big passion for good health. Uh, so welcome, Rick. Hello. I think I think you should put Italian food, actually. <laughs> Italian food as well. OK, we'll add that. <laughs> uh, it's great to have the opportunity to speak to you today, Rick. Uh, I'm really excited to learn about the foundation and the ethos on which time was founded, uh, which is a phrase that you coined health spam. Uh, so, Rick, if I could begin by asking you, what is health spam? That's a very good question. Um, the definition of health spam is it's the amount of time that you spend in good health. That's that's the definition. Mm-hmm. Um, McKinsey uh, issued a report, I think, in 2022, that said that globally people are living longer, but not necessarily healthier, mm-hmm. and the the past 60 years has seen massive improvements in the global life expectancy, but the proportion of their life spent in poor health or moderate health has not changed. Um, and that is what the foundations of time has become, that, that sort of ethos of trying to improve your health span by uh, improving your ongoing quality of life and trying to promote longevity um, through preventative care. And there is, you know, this is fundamental, in my view, to future generations um, as we approach um, a growing population that generally lives longer, but not necessarily healthier. And as, as we have an aging population with more and more what we call comorbidities, so they're living with more and more illnesses from high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, obesity, and even cancer care, we will probably find as a society that these problems will become more and more treatable, but we'll still have to deal with them on a day-to-day basis. And there won't necessarily be something that will cure that disease. So for example, cancer care, you may in the future no longer die from cancer, but you won't necessarily get rid of it either. So it will be an ongoing battle through life. Um, And and that is the essence of it. There was also another report about health um, and and living a long life. So I believe in the 1970s, a report commissioned said that in the UK and the US, if you had the top, 
within the top 10 longest living life expectancies in the world. Recently, the UK has now dropped to the mid-30s, and I believe the US to the 50s. And the reason that health um, life expectancy is dropping away is because as, as we get wealthier as a society, we tend to have a better lifestyle. And as we have a better lifestyle, we tend to do less of the important things that keep us healthy. And those are what... Um, we need to, these are the problems that we need to address. So for me, the message is, how do we increase people's health span, the proportion of life they spend living well? And as a result of that, if we have a longer life and we have a proportion of our life in longer health span, we're going to have a better life experience. Mm, so interesting. Obviously, um, you've mentioned the the crucial sort of change in lifestyle choices, uh, the change in um, how we do our jobs, and we're less we're less manual than we used to be. So, how important are lifestyle choices when looking at maintaining good health? Would you say? I, I mean, I think lifestyle is is one of the fundamental. Um, things that we can change as an individuals and as a society. I think for too long, people have always felt that, you know, oh, well, you know, I want to have a good life, you know, and what will be will be, you know, you get, you get that attitude from a number of patients. Oh, well, what will be will be. But there is quite a lot of evidence in the, in the area of what we call healthy aging, which suggests that as a society, future generations could potentially live well over 100. And that that is quite appealing to a lot of people, but it will radically change our outlook on life. So, for example, we would have to decide, um, would we retire at 60, 65, if we're only potentially 60% or halfway through our life? Um, The other question we're all going to have is, what are we going to do with that extra time? And... And if you ask most people, would you like to live to 110 or 120, they go, well, as long as I could do things that I do now, um, I absolutely would. But if if it means spending 30 years um, with poor health or chronic illnesses or hospital appointments or residential care, um, no, it doesn't interest me. And, you know, the debate is, well, what happens if we said that you could do that, but to be able to do that, you need to look at yourself and invest in yourself to make sure that that is a possibility. So in answer to your question about is lifestyle important? Absolutely. The choices we make on a day-to-day basis are fundamental to our long-term outcome. I mean, more and more, um, med, um, more and more of future medicine or medicine 2.0 or even 3.0, if you want to call it that, will now focus on individualized treatment plans and individualized um, ways of dealing with your problems. For, for so long, we have been dealing with people pretty much in the same way. You know, if you have a chest infection, we'll give, you may give you antibiotics. Um, and the antibiotics would be 
certain groups and usually quite broad in their range so that they would attack good and bad bacteria equally. And then what you hope is to support the body to overcome that infection. In the future, it may be that there's a targeting way that you would have a treatment that is specific to that problem. And another example of that is, for example, DNA. So more and more now, and we, we offer it ourselves, is um, DNA testing is becoming more and more the norm. And I often get patients saying, well, I'm not sure I really want to know if I've got going to get dementia, doc, and all that. And you say, well, most of the DNA tests will never tell you you're going to get dementia. They'll say that you're more susceptible to getting dementia. But what most people are shocked about when I tell them this is that actually most of the causes, most of the reasons that we get develop dementia if you're susceptible is because of our lifestyle choices. And I believe it's reported figures up to 90%. So even if you've got a weakness for dementia in your genes, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to develop it, but it does mean you're going to have to look after yourself and do the right things to, 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 to make sure that, that you minimize that risk. And I mean, I've worked in the, um, as you alluded to earlier in the, in the podcast, you know, your doctoral time, as we call ourselves now, and the, the reason we call it time is because time is a medicinal herb known for its antimicrobial properties. Um, and also it's, it's extending your time. So, but it's spelt with a time as in a, the herb time. But I, I dealt with a lot of sort of Hollywood A-listers and and, and seeing celebrities and VIPs as part of my travels as a private doctor. And um, what I've found is that, you know, societies embrace, you know, the media embrace this, the celebrity lifestyle and, and the youthfulness and the, and the wellness of, of individuals. If you, want, if you look at the daily papers like the Daily Mail or, you know, any of the tabloids, you know, they're always talking about, you know, an Elizabeth Hurley, doesn't she look amazing, or J-Lo or, 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 or whoever, you know. And, you know, most people will say, yeah, but they've had a pretty good life and, you know, they've got lots of money. And you go, well, that's true to an extent, but as a society, people are living generally a bit healthier. Like the younger generations, you know, they use what they say, the new 50s, the new 40, and the new 60s, the new 50. That's because we don't smoke as much anymore and we do more exercise and we're a bit more aware about what we should be doing. But these, these VIPs, they may have good genes. They may ge be genetically predisposed to aging a little less, um, less quickly than I am. Brad Pitt, for example, is on the papers, wasn't he, at Wimbledon? Oh, how amazing he looks. But I promise you, and I know for a fact, that a lot of them are on very tight regimes of exercise, nutritional eating. You know, you've talked to a lot of celebrities that say, oh, I don't drink very much or, you know, I don't eat much sugar. Or This is the key to, for everybody to understand that beauty lies within and not just with outside on the outside you know botox and skin creams and look surgery and looking fabulous on the outside is great but you've got to look at 
what's going on in the inside. And if you don't provide the right nutrition and the right sort of support for your body systems, you're going to age quicker than you necessarily need to. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I was I was going to ask about the pandemic and whether you thought that had a bearing on how people look in health, but do you think people are very influenced by people who are um, on the TV, celebrities, and they look amazing, they look, you know, the picture of health, or both maybe? Yeah, I, I think I think that the, the pandemic has changed people's perception of life. I think, I think um, for me, you know, um, people have sort of made them reflect on, on on what it is they want out of life. You know, s- stress and anxiety has been on the increase. There's a lot of there's a lot more awareness of of other people's lives. You know, via social media, uh, via the newspapers, or you know, programs about the wealthy and the rich and the beautiful. And and I think that, you know, everybody has the potential to achieve those things. But like all things in life, you have to invest in yourself. Mm -hmm. For me, the greatest asset that we have is our body. It's ourselves. And some of us do have a, you know, a more... um, No, that's not correct. Some of us are a bit unfortunate in the fact that maybe the hand we're dealt is not as fortunate as others. You know, some people, unfortunately, are born with genetic diseases from a very early age. And there's not much you can do about that, except, you know, you can't change that via lifestyle. But that number is small. Most of us are, are dealt a fairly decent hand, and it's how we play it. And for me, a lot of people take advantage of their hand, but they don't play it correctly because they take it for granted that their health will always be good, that they won't develop heart disease, that they won't develop type 2 diabetes, or they won't develop cancer. Cancer rates are on the rise. You know, sort of mental health illnesses like um, anxiety, depression, you know, the, the autistic spectrum, allergies, um food intolerances are all on the rise you know and you just you question how how can that be um you know and there's a lot of theories and no one knows for sure but 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 the evidence seems to suggest that you know it is about all the stuff that's been on the television recently from dr tim Spector and and dr chatterjee and all these types of influencers who are saying that you know what we eat what we get from supermarkets, what we get from um, convenience stores are not necessarily healthy for you. For many years, people have drunk, you know, low-fat drinks, fizzy drinks, ten-a-penny energy drinks. They're full of chemicals, full of additives, preservatives, sweeteners, and they do tremendous damage to our bodies and to our gut in particular. So, you know, in essence, yes, we can improve things. Yes, the pandemic has changed people's perception. And I think people are reflecting on whether they should, um, you know, look after themselves better and have more balance in their lives. I, I think that is true. I'm, I'm not sure whether um, people understand that, you know, they need to change their 
perspectives and and um, the way that they view their health. Mm, yeah, I, I certainly read that the um, uh, the processed food industry had a lot to do with our health or or lack thereof. Lots of additives and lots of things that our bodies are just not used to processing. Um, so yeah, I, I did read quite a lot about that. And obviously that's something that's changed since uh, maybe the 60s and 70s and um, escalated from there. We dine out a lot more. There's more fast food, a fast food uh, joint on every corner. Um, so it's become a part of daily life rather than the meat and two veg um, that our sort of grandparents had. So yeah, yeah, I think that's probably a lot to do with it. Um, I totally agree. I totally agree with everything you're saying. Mm-hmm. I think we've taken for granted that when we come to nutrition, um, that uh, if we buy something from a store of any type, um, that we presume that what they're providing us with is is safe to, to eat and is healthy. Um, what we misconstrue is that a lot of the food provided has to have certain additives and chemicals and preservatives to give them the sort of shelf life that allows them to stock and sell. What I think as a society we've not understood is that we pay a price for that. Now, unfortunately, as always in life, there are some people who say, well, I can't really afford to eat healthily or I can't afford to buy um, fresh fruit and vegetables. But the frozen veg, for example, have been shown to be um, very high in minerals and, and, and vitamins. Um, and it's, it's moving away from convenience food and meals um, and more towards going back to what our grandparents did, who probably, or great-grandparents, who, uh, who would probably argue that um, they didn't necessarily have all the money in the world, but they were much more self-sufficient, much more capable of creating simpler meals. I mean, you probably can tell from my name that I have an Italian heritage, um, hence hence my Italian uh, love for things. Um, food, as pretty much everyone in this country knows, is, is a very big passion in Italy. Um, it's, it's, it's the thing that sort of is one of the main pillars of Italian society. Um, it's a very important aspect of their daily lives. And my Italian grandparents had very, very little money, but they always managed to provide nutritious foods. They would try and grow their own vegetables. Uh, my granddad used to make vinegar for wine um, and things like that. But 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 the realities of it was my granddad lived to 95 um, and my nan lived to the mid 80s. And that was many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. And they had a very simple life and uh, they ate what they could to the point that even my father would say that eating meat was a real treat. Um, it was not a normal thing to have on the table. And and that is probably where we're going to have to head back towards a society where we eat more simply um, and, and cook from scratch. Mm, yeah, the Mediterranean diet is, um, it's always been up there as one of the most uh, healthy, even though, like you say, you know, vinegar, oils, wine, a big part of the Mediterranean diet, but still healthier, um, 
it seems that what we have uh, in the UK and, and certainly across the, the states as well. So, yeah, it's, it's the balance, isn't it? And the raw ingredients, like you say. I read an article recently said that the, um, the US had managed to export the single most uh, terrible diet in the world and export it <laughs> around the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which true. Made me chuckle. And, and they were obviously emphasizing the sort of fast food culture um and and how it's been embraced and in societies which previously didn't have access to this type of 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 food um obesity levels have started to rise uh sort of type 2 diabetes and all these kinds of uh illnesses that were never usually associated with with their their sort of culture has has seen an increase as a result of embracing um, that sort of a diet. So it, it, it's quite telling. Yes. I also read that there was um, a correlation between fast food and processed uh, diets um, and uh, also the rise in mental health, like you mentioned earlier, the autistic spectrum, ADHD and these sorts of things um, alongside uh, gut health problems as well and the two like the the brain gut um access yeah absolutely i mean for me it's one of the crucial hubs that we've sort of ignored as a society and i think we're becoming increasingly aware of it i mean there's some very prominent figures out there in the healthy aging sector as they call it who are very big advocates of of, of us going back to basics um a guy called Dr. Hyman in, in the U.S. who who had many has written many good books. One um, was Forever Young, and he he sort of talks about his experience as a six-year-old now, but he has all the energy and a biological age in his forties, um, and how he's managed to turn his illnesses, which he was suffering with in his twenties and thirties, around by focusing on on his health and his gut nutrition mm. um the gut is probably the, the most important organ in the body it's where we do a lot of the work of turning food into nutrition for the body minerals and vitamins are absorbed that way and what we found is that by encouraging chemicals into the system whether that's through preservatives uh, flavorings um whether it's through processed foods even Simple things when you think about them, like um, chlorinated water, which we have in the tap water, which obviously provides us with safe drinking water, but actually, you know, that chlorination will obviously kill bacteria in your gut. And what they found is that as we develop more symptoms like IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, which is on the rise, um, it seems to indicate that you have more and more dysfunction which leads to poor immune response because 70 to 80 percent of our immunity is based on our gut health mm. and the gut is made up of trillions and trillions of bacteria and one of the things that's always fascinated me is that our gut makes up 99 percent of our dna now if you think about that what it's saying is our dna normally we only make up 1% of our, of our whole body because there's so many bacteria and viruses and fungi with their DNA added on 
we're 99 we're only one percent of our organism our body and so what it makes you realize is that without that we wouldn't survive we wouldn't live and they there's been a lot of research on when they've treated animals for antibiotics and they found that animals weren't putting on weight or were malnourished they found that when they looked at their gut flora it was in poor health you only have to look at the medical profession where we've treated patients for very serious illnesses lots of antibiotics and they can develop quite serious gut infections and everyone knows of clostridium difficile which is a very hard thing to treat where numerous courses of antibiotics for maybe a very severe infection has led to this problem. Um, and these patients become very, very unwell, very, very sick. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite evident that if we didn't have the right bacteria, we wouldn't survive very long. So we, we have to treat our gut like a garden, tending to it, feeding it, watering it, you know, all the things that you would think about if you had your own garden. And what we've not what I think we're starting to realize is that probably we need to start thinking about what we put in our mouths what we do on a day-to-day basis because everything we do encourages a healthy gut environment and the evidence suggests that if you've got a good healthy gut environment you have a good immune response and and therefore you'd feel energetic you'll age slower You'll probably live healthier. You're much more likely to delay illnesses coming along later on in life. Mm, yeah, it's very interesting. I read a book called Ten Percent Human, and that yes. described exactly what you were talking about. Just yes, then. I read that so, book. It's very good as well. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, it's but to do all this, you need to do the testing. We do microbiome testing. Mm-hmm. It's all sent to America at the moment fascinating reports that come back and how the imbalances in groups of bacteria can influence um, that. And from a medical perspective, as, as a doctor, and I've spent many years, 25 years probably as a doctor all in all now, which is quite hard to believe, um, many years in hospital treating very sick patients um, and in general practice as well. And, you know, most doctors have very good intentions. You know, we want to help this person they say well I've got a cough can I have some antibiotics and we try to resist but sometimes we go okay maybe you should antacids you know for reflux acid reflux that a lot of people suffer from um, anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen all these just to name a few of the medicines have a massive impact on our gut flora and lots of patients throughout their life have had a variety of these tablets um, in one guise or another. And sometimes you wipe out a whole population of gut flora. And they looked at um, one of the books, I can't remember which one I read it in, but they looked at um, nomadic tribes based in the Amazon rainforest or Africa. And they found that when they looked at their gut flora, they would have thousands of different types of bacteria if they looked at Europeans, on average, we'd have maybe tens of different bacteria. Wow. And the reason that was prominent, uh, that, the reason that prompted so much research was because these tribes have very low rates of heart disease and cancers relative to Western populations. And, and so 
you know, when they dug it and researched it a little more, they found that these people were eating um, much more nomadically. So they would eat, you know, herbs and, and greenery, which haven't been um, farmed in a, you know, a high intensity. They're, they're, they're natural. They would, you know, may have some meat and some fish and very much whatever they could take, they would eat. And, and whereas we, a lot of the stuff that we have, to some extent, has been processed, but it's important that we, we reflect that we're, we're safer having vegetables, fruit, organic meats, fishes, um, and having less of those if we can't afford them and having more veg than to go and have um, ready meals or um, convenience sources or things like that. Um, my wife bought some flat bags, flat, sorry, my wife bought some flatbreads the other day and um, she bought two types actually. One was a small one, Piadina, which is a small Italian flatbread and there was a bigger one. And, and the Piadina had just wheat, salt, water and olive oil. The other flatbread had all kinds of things like preservatives, emulsifiers, flavorings, um, and the thing is, you look at it and you wouldn't think anything of it. You think it's just flatbread, but one of them probably will do you a lot more harm than the other one. Mm, yeah, there's been quite an emphasis on just actually reading the label and looking at Correct. what you're consuming. Yeah, yeah. So from your perspective, obviously, we're living in the Western world. Um if we were a tribe and just eating from the land, then chances are we would have much better bacteria. Um, but I guess including food and including all of the, the good, healthy habits that you could have to really promote good health, what would you recommend for the people listening to uh, this podcast? I think, I think the important thing for people to understand is we're living in a... In a, in a in an age now where societies are changing, there's more information than ever before, and there's more access to, you know, testing and you know medical advice. However, in the Western world, most health systems are under tremendous strain now. There, you know, there's fewer and fewer doctors and nurses as the population tends to increase, and we're all aging, and there's less people coming through. So for me. The importance for people to understand is that we've got to start investing in our own health. And for me, one of the best strategies of all is just having regular health checks. I have a lot of foreign patients come to see me because they come to the UK and live for a few months or a couple of years. And they'll say to me, I'm gobsmacked that you don't just routinely do blood tests for this or for that. And you go, um, the NHS will only treat if you have symptoms or problems. But, but health checks pick up things often before you're even symptomatic. So, you know, recently we had a, you know, 51-year-old chap who had a malignant polyp in his, in his bowel, which we picked up on testing. Um, and, you know, he had no symptoms. We had a 43-year-old chap who had, was diagnosed with prostate cancer. But again, he had no symptoms. Um, a 32-year-old who had type 1 diabetes, which is very unusual because it's quite late developing. But he, again, he described no symptoms that he thought would even give him an idea that he needs to see the doctor. 
And, and the importance of health checks is that we, you know, you start to formulate a plan. And, um, you know, sometimes you need to go deeper into the testing than you think. I mean, in the, in the US, they'll do up to 120 profiles or panels of testing. In the UK, we'll do 20 to 30. And I think as an NHS doctor, you know, that, you know, as a population, we've always gone, you know, the NHS will look after us if we're sick. But the problem is we can all see the NHS is under tremendous stress now. And I think that there's only one person who can ever look after themselves, and that's yourself. And I think, you know, we've got to, as a society, start to think about doing health checks, getting blood tests. Um, unfortunately, the NHS probably will not ever be able to provide that. It is so busy with just dealing with people who've got what we call reactive medical issues they're never going to be able to focus on the preventative and the proactive stuff. But I think that um, research has shown that if you, if you start doing regular health checks in your 30s and 40s, you can extend your health span by up to 15 years. And even in your 60s and 70s, up to three or four more extra years. Because if you treat problems early, because you found them early, you know, the outcomes are much better. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the three main things I'd always say to patients beyond investing in themselves and maybe removing one weekend trip to Europe, because that's probably the equivalent cost is to, um, you know, keep a healthy weight, um, eat as well as you can do some exercise and don't smoke. I mean, of all the parameters, not smoking is probably one of the most harmful things we can do, but, but if, if nothing more, you know, exercise, healthy weight, good eating will get you a long way. But like I said, if you want to do what we spend our whole lives looking at celebrities on holiday in their small bikinis or, or, or six packs um, looking well, then you need to do it properly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's something that um, you were mentioning about the testing and things like that. I'm going to wrap up with with one question, if I if I may. Um, but yes, time um, ultimately is supporting the NHS by helping people look after their health. And then obviously they'll have to go to the doctor less and less, which is fantastic. Um, I'm going to finish with with this question, if I may. A personal question. What are your health rituals, Rick? Uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, I try to do everything in balance. If that 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 that's there's no specific formula, and I, and I always say this to my patients: you, no one's going to live perfectly for a hundred percent of the time. You know, very few people want to do that. You know, I'm going out this weekend, and you know, I shouldn't really have anything to drink, and I don't know what's on the menu. So I say, look, look. At the end of the day, just do it. 80% of the 70, 80% of the time, eat well, look after yourself. And 20 or 30% of the time, you you can enjoy yourself. You know, if you go on holiday and you're having a few more drinks than you normally do, then so be it, because mm-hmm. that will improve your mental health. But everything has to be in balance. And, and that's the bit that I always say patients to focus. Um, I, I, I sort of, you know, try to do a couple of sessions of exercise. I definitely cook a lot and my wife cooks a lot from scratch. We've even started growing our own veg <laughs> with our little garden. Pack. Not not very successful, to be honest with you, but we try. Um, I don't buy many um, sauces or things like that. I make it all myself. Um, 
I, I drink in moderation. I really don't drink a lot these days. I probably have a couple of glasses of wine a week um, and try and sleep well, um, but keep fit, you know, and that doesn't mean running marathons. I'm, I'm not built for that. I try to do things I enjoy, play golf or tennis, but I, I try to do some Pilates and stretches and, and that's, that's what I try to do. And when I go on holiday, my wife absolutely hates me because she goes, when you're the only person, when you go on holiday, you start being even healthier. And that's because when I'm at work, I tend to cheat and I go, all right, I'll have a biscuit with a cup of tea. But, but, but in reality, um, when you go on holiday, it's my time to think, yeah, I'm, I'm getting a bit stressed out. I'm not eating well. I start wanting to go for long walks, play play tennis, you know, like I want the salad and I love the chicken, but having a variety, there's no, there's no good thing having the same things all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And you've mentioned something crucial there as well. There's no point in slogging yourself going for a run. If you really hate it, you'll just not continue. You do something that you enjoy. What, what, what we do is we, we sort of bespoke the, you know, our, 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 our treatments to those individuals and what works for one person doesn't work for another, you know, and we do microbiome testing, blood tests, mineral tests, vitamin tests, um, DNA testing. The reason we do all that is because you get information from that individual. So, for example, um, vitamin D, you know, there, there is some argument that, you know, low vitamin D will lead to rickets and all kinds of bone diseases. So take a small amount of vitamin. We need 30 or 40 units per day to, to minimize that. And, and we'd have a normal vitamin D. But the problem is, is it optimal for you? But some people, when you do their DNA testing, you will find that they are not very good at processing vitamin D. So um, if they've got normal levels, put, giving them a vitamin D supplement or them taking a vitamin D supplement could actually stress the body quite a bit. And actually would be more harmful than having a low vitamin D. So by knowing that information, you can get better advice, you know, and and you can see the value of, of, of that. Yeah, yeah. So to summarize, inform yourself, be informed, variety, raw ingredients to food, balance, fun. I, I, my nan always used to say to me, my English nan always used to see, say to me, Rick, everything in moderation. Yes. And I think that is probably the, the, the way we have to lead our lives in the future. We have to accept that as a society, we're going to live longer, but we want to live healthier. So, you know, invest in yourself, eat a good balanced uh, dinners and variety, do moderate exercise, but enjoy life as well. Don't let it become a chore because if it's making you miserable, that's not going to be any use for you either. Yeah, yeah. A hundred percent agreed. Thank you so much for that, Rick. It's just so interesting to have a um a good chat with you today. Pleasure. Um, Absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Um, If anyone has any comments or questions, um, you are welcome to include them in the comments section below. We will respond as soon as possible and stay tuned for more podcasts on illuminating primary care. Uh, Thank you once again, Rick. Pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye, Kirsty. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
You've been listening to the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you're a practice looking to recruit permanent clinicians, such as GPs, nurses or allied health staff, please get in touch at menloparkrecruitment.com or email james at menloparkrecruitment.com. For daily primary care news, please follow Menlo Park Recruitment on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you'll join us next time for another episode of the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast.